Welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by occupational therapist, Kristen Massey, to discuss dysgraphia. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Good. Hi, Tristan. So excited to have you here. And we're just going to start by having you introduce yourself. Yeah. So I'm Kristen Massey. I'm an occupational therapist and owner of Skills on the Hill Pediatric Therapy. We have offices in Arlington, Virginia, and also in Washington, D.C. Awesome. So we know where you can find you in the world, but if we were to find you online, where would we go? Our website is skillsonthehill.com. We also have pretty active Facebook and Instagram uh, profiles. So if you just search for Skills on the Hill on either of those, you'll see us. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we've got some really amazing snippets um, of, you know, like tidbits for child development from our therapists. And then we also have a blog on our website. Awesome. I'll make sure to link all of it in the show notes so people can find you guys. Okay, great. Perfect. So if you're ready, I'm ready to hop into dysgraphia. Okay. So first things first, what is it? What's dysgraphia? So the word dysgraphia, it, it basically means trouble with written expression. And it comes from the Greek word dis, which means impaired. And then graphia means making letters with the hand. Um, As occupational therapists, we don't usually use this term as much as doctors or psychologists, but basically it could be, you know, 20 reasons or more why a person or a child specifically is is struggling or having difficulties with written output. Okay. So you said you don't use it as often in the occupational therapy world. What do you normally say instead? Yeah. Well, it's just because it's such a broad term, right? Um, we, in our evaluations, we really tease it apart and want to find out the more specific areas leading to the trouble or um, the disorder in the written expression. So do you want me to go into our evaluation and like all the different yeah. areas that could contribute to the, the challenges with writing? That'd be okay. awesome. Um, well, first of all, it's, it's really common. Um, And experts aren't really sure like what specifically could cause it, but underlying working memory issues can contribute, uh, organizing information, and then also obviously getting the words to the paper um, or or typing them. Um, So when we look at a child that's referred and the parent says there's those writing issues or a teacher in school says there's these writing issues. We we look at a lot of different areas. Um, the first thing is, is obviously how the letters look on paper. Right. And it, it's tricky because we know so much goes into producing those letters. So we want to see the child actually forming them, but we also want to have these writing samples to look at. So we're going to look at how are the letters shaped, Um, Are there issues with like left to right awareness? Is the writing starting on the left side of the paper and going across? Um, Are the letters going in all different directions? Are they on the baseline? What is the size like? 
So we're just kind of looking at what we call the visual perceptual aspects of the writing. Um, so how it appears. Um, then, of course, fine motor difficulties, right? Because we're occupational therapists. That's what everybody knows us um, to, to be addressing right. fine motor difficulties. So we're going to look at the grasp of the pencil. We also want to see how do they manipulate other small objects with their, you know, their in-hand, we call it in-hand manipulation skills. So those small movements within the hands, like how they manipulate coins and pegs and how they coordinate scissors when trying to cut shapes out. Um, also, how is their hand and wrist and forearm and shoulder positioned in relation to the rest of the body? So we're going to kind of tease all that apart because in the end, it might be some underlying weak hand muscles or just the, the motor skills are kind of delayed. Then a big area that I often find I'm kind of preaching and reminding to our occupational therapy team is the language processing issues, because we'll get this common referral for the writing challenges. But when we tease it apart, the bigger issue, it's kind of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, but the bigger issue could be those language processing issues. So it kind of falls more in the realm of speech language pathology. Right. Um, how are they coming up with the ideas for what they want to write and then pro the processing of getting those ideas out on the paper? Maybe just in everyday life, they're having a hard time following directions, verbal directions. So that's language processing. Mm -hmm. um, functionally, when they're interacting with peers, we might see them having trouble understanding rules of games um, or just, you know, teasing apart basic conversation is the child really understanding what, what people are telling them. Right. And then that kind of, you know, on this, the same note with the speech language is also spelling issues. Right. As occupational therapists, we don't treat the underlying spelling issues, but if that is a really big issue, that's going to contribute to the writing as well. So yeah. So this is kind of a fancy word, but we call it orthographic coding. It's basically Ooh. when you're thinking about reading and decoding or like dissecting the sounds to read a word, the opposite for spelling is called orthographic coding. So it's kind Ooh. of taking the letters and the sounds associated and putting them together in order to spell a word. Okay. When you're, when you're okay. So that again, it falls under speech language pathology. And if these kids cannot spell, of course their writing is going to suffer, right? right? But that's what the teachers or the parents are seeing as far as the output. They can't write. Well, why? So we really have to look at what is going on. Um, kids that have those spelling issues obviously have a hard time with spelling rules. And, you know, English is a complex language. Yeah. They might have trouble telling if a word is misspelled. They might spell it all different ways phonetically. They might mix upper and lowercase letters. And then they have trouble reading their own writing. Yeah. Um, overall, these kids just avoid writing at all costs. You know, it's just so challenging to even think about what I want to write. How am I going to spell it? And then you add in 
what the hand needs to do and how it's going to look on the paper. So they just avoid it altogether. Yeah. And they also might erase a lot. So sometimes we see that with kids that um, are kind of perfectionists, but if these kids are so, you know, having so many challenges with, oh gosh, how do I write that word? They're just going to keep going over and over it in their mind and erasing it. The next thing is, and this is also related, they have no clue about punctuation. Mm. They might mix up verb tenses, use a capital letter in the middle of a sentence. Um, The sentence structure is off. Either they're like really long sentences or they're just kind of awkward. They don't, they don't make sense. So, so these areas, the language processing, spelling, and the grammar you know, really, we really do need to think about the special educator's role and this the speech language pathologist. Um, organization of, of written language. So sometimes we will address this a little bit, but again, if it's a if it's a bigger issue, we've got to call in other people um, that's that specialize. So when you're organizing what you want to write, of course, you have the topic and, you know, your subtopics. And sometimes we will use things such as um, graphic organizers, or sometimes we call that a writing web to kind of have a visual representation of how we're going to kind of attack a writing task. Right. Um, But, but along this, this um, in this area, they have trouble telling the story they might leave out facts and they might be better at conveying their ideas orally rather than, than when they're writing. Right. Um, so these are all the things that, that we're looking at. And of course I could go on and on all day about looking at how letters are formed and, you know, more specific details about hand development, (laughs) that sort of thing. Right. Well, I personally would love to hear about that, but I think we might want to know a little bit more about how this is then treated because it sounds like it's really vast. So a lot of things can kind of come into it, which is why we love talking about the whole child on this podcast because as you can see, it takes a village. But tell us a little bit about that. How do you guys start with treatment? It's a great question. So first of all, we need to get the child to learn to like writing. Because if, if this is something challenging for the child, and you know, I mentioned before they want to avoid it, they're just not going to want to do it. Right. And you know, the, it depends on the age. They need to understand that nothing is wrong with them. And we want to be detectives and work with them to try to figure out how can we make writing fun. Um, a lot of times we will tell the child that, you know, we're writing writing doctors or, you know, we're going to, you have, we're going to find these tips and tricks to make, to make it all easier. And, and once they hear that, they do get relieved. Right. Um, so then after that, I would say, I always try to find out what the child is interested in. You know, it could be Paw Patrol or Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, (laughs) you know, superheroes, princesses, whatever it is, because If it's a topic that they're interested in, that's half the battle. You know, yeah. you got to kind of lure them in and, you know, mentally manipulate it, manipulate them a little bit. So <laughs> they at least want to be there with you and um, you can kind of disguise what you're doing. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's a little bit more motivating and interesting to them. Um, 
Then the next thing is we, we take a play-based approach. If we can make it fun, you know, we've already got what's motivating and interesting. If we can make it fun and kind of integrate the writing practice into something that they find enjoyable, they're not going to realize what's going on. They're just going to end up being these little sponges and, you know, they're going to want to come play with us, you know, work with us. So we like to um, integrate these, these fun writing activities into obstacle courses, um, games, craft activities, even like cooking. So, so for example, if it was an obstacle course and I was working with like a preschooler or, you know, pre-K age child, we would take it down to the basics. Like, do they know their letters? You know, do the, do these letter names mean anything to them? Because that's, that's really the first step. If they don't know what an A looks like and somebody's telling them make an A, that. Right. Right. That's just going to be even more challenging. Exactly. So we need to make a, this friend (laughs) and make a, you know, appear at different stages of our obstacle course. Right. And then we also add in kind of like multi-sensory opportunities to, to get to know a, maybe it's drawing a in shaving cream on a mat. Yeah. Or using chalk to to form an A on a chalkboard. Yeah. Or a vibrating pen. Ooh. All those things are, you know, we're taking the traditional writing of, you know, the pencil and pen or marker away. Right. And we're making it more fun. And we're using um, just different mediums because right. it really is about motor planning, knowing what steps are required to form a letter and then being able to make it automatic. So after we, we integrate, um, forming, forming the letters, because they're really just like pictures to the kids before they, you know, imagine if you were going to learn Chinese, the forms are just like, you know, beautiful art. Yeah. They're just symbols. They're just symbols. So once we work on that and kind of use that multi-sensory approach and integrate it into something fun, whether it be the obstacle course or the game or whatever, a preferred, uh, preferred activity, um, we want to think about making it automatic. Mm -hmm. So this is called your, your kinesthetic motor memory. So what I always do is eliminate vision and put some fun blindfolded activities into play, because if the child can form the letters from memory without that visual feedback, that means it's automatic. Okay. That's cool. (laughs) it, It is pretty cool. And Kids like it because it's fun when we right. start to incorporate these blindfolded activities. So let's say it's a first grader. So they've okay. got some experience with writing, but, and they know their letters, but the speed is an issue. And maybe they're just such perfectionists it's slowing them down. Mm-hmm. Um, we really just kind of want to put the legibility to the side and get them comfortable 
with, with writing, writing faster, make it a game. So I will blindfold myself and I'll time myself forming the uppercase alphabet, record the time, lowercase alphabet. Sometimes I'll do it with my non-dominant hand. Oh, wow. And the kids think it's hilarious. So, so then they're challenged to beat their own time. And that, that automaticity starts, you know, in improving and their time decreases. Um, We also will do this if we are trying to kind of undo an incorrect letter formation. Okay. So if a child, I mean, you've probably heard about kids reversing letters, right? Um, The common ones are like, or confusing letters even, not just reversing, but B, D, P, C. Um, Now that is really attributed to an underlying, um, what we say, directionality or laterality issue. So they really Mm -hmm. just don't understand left and right on themselves and in the environment. And that's why they keep reversing. Um, But if we, back to what I was saying, if we're trying to correct an incorrect formation, we have to think about the multisensory pieces and making it automatic. So we'll practice that formation over and over and over again. And then we take away the vision and we do it just from that, that motor memory. Um, and we make it, we make it a game. And I've found that kids that get that practice every day that, that want to do it, um, are successful in kind of, you know, correcting that incorrect formation. Um, but for the kids and the families that are not committed to doing that practice every day, it can be really, really challenging. So in the end, we just, we really want to function on or focus, excuse me, focus on function. Um, are they functional? Are they able to perform in school? Can they, can they get it out? So then next, uh, we're going to look at efficiency. So that's when we really dive deeper into the hand. What's going on with the hand? What's going on with the positioning of the body? Where is the head positioned? What about the eyes? Because uh, there could be a lot of different things going on there, right? Um, just kind of position-wise. So before I get into the hand, let's start with kind of the, the positioning of the body. So when we sit at the desk or table, we want to see 90 degrees at the hips, the knees and the ankles. Okay. And with that, the child, their trunk should be upright. Right. When the head is really close to the paper, like I've seen some kids that are like six inches from the paper that tells us that something is going on visually. Right. Um, not necessarily with their acuity or how clear they're seeing it, but it could be something going on with one eye versus the other eye, mm-hmm. you know, adjusting the position of how the, what they're seeing is coming in right. to the brain. So that's like a whole, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, but we do really want to look at everything. Okay. Right. It's not just about the hand. Um, we might, make some, some suggestions like getting the paper on a slanted surface so they can sit more upright mm-hmm. that can help with the head position. It could also help with the trunk. So kids that have 
low muscle tone, maybe, you know, supporting themselves in a static position, upright position over time. It's really challenging, but using that slant board might help get them more upright. Right. Um, Maybe a seat cushion. Some seat cushions might be for wiggling and some might be for just readjusting the pelvis and getting the child more upright. So those are two ideas for kind of adaptive equipment. We call, we call them like the slant board and the seat cushion, but then it doesn't even have to be fancy. If the feet need help getting at 90 degrees, we're going to stick like a, a box under the feet. I would say telephone book, but nobody has telephone books anymore. (laughs) So it could even be like a stack of books, but just let's really make sure that the child fits in that chair. It's an appropriate size and they have some stability at their feet. Right. Um, next comes the arm for younger kids that are, are newer to writing or new, newer to having a pencil or pen in their hand. Um, you might see them doing some funky things with their arm, like holding their arm in the air above oh. the, the table yeah. and um, holding a lot of tension in their shoulder. And that basically means they're using their arm. Like, like it's just this one connected object. Um, you know, like they just don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this whole big thing that they're trying to maneuver to make the letters. Right. So we don't want to see that. Um, we want to see the hand stabilized against the table. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, the wrist can slightly extend, which allows for maximum finger movement. Okay. So we really have to get the forearm down. If we don't see the forearm down, we will have the child write at an easel or a chalkboard or even on their tummies on the floor. So they can stabilize their arm Mm. against the surface. Okay. Slant boards can also help with that. So we want to get that arm stabilized. Even if we have the arm stabilized, they might be kind of holding their hand up. So this side, I know I'm showing you and our listeners can't see, but this <laughs> pinky side of the hand, right? this is called your ulnar side of your hand. Okay? okay. That's because the ulna bone is on this back side. Yeah. Yep. So we want to see this side of the hand down. Okay. paper. So what I will do for the younger kids and they think it's hilarious is I'll draw like a little smiley face on that side <laughs> of the hand. And I'll say, you know, this, this is Tristan. We want Tristan to kiss the paper oh. while we're writing. Okay. Yeah. Or I'll say, we want to smash Tristan's face <laughs> against the table while we're writing, you know, <laughs> so they have, they have fun with that, but whatever right. it takes to kind of remind them that we need to get the hand down. Right. Um, to just kind of build that skill. So then we're really getting into the hand forming the letters instead of the whole arm. Right. Okay. Okay. So then we can talk about grasp. Right. Now you've probably heard of tripod, right? Tripod grasp. That's three fingers. So Mm -hmm. the word tripod means three. Okay. But what we're really looking for is there to be a big opening Mm -hmm. between your thumb and your index finger. That's called the web space. So a big hole there. Okay. So, so you're holding the pen or pencil with your fingertips, right? Okay. Big opening. 
And we want to see the pen or pencil kind of angled back toward the body, like diagonal. Right. When I see that, I know that I have a pencil grasp that is being supported by the arches of the hand and the web space. And we've got finger movement going on. Right. When I don't see the open space and the thumb is like overlapping the pencil or the grip is really tight, that tells me that we need to work on the underlying muscles. Right. So we need to do some strengthening. We might need to work on getting the thumb and index finger to do some, some pincer type exercises. Mm-hmm. The, the child is doing that to compensate for what they don't have. Okay. So they're just trying to make the pencil more stable so they can form the letters. And unfortunately what happens is when the thumb overlaps the shaft of the pencil, or you've got this tight grasp, they get tired. Mm -hmm. They start shaking out their hand. Their endurance is really low. And if it doesn't feel good, they don't don't want to do do it. it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's what we're looking at, you know, with that underlying grasp. So back to the word tripod, if it's four fingers, which we call a quadrupod, Mm -hmm. I don't care. That's efficient. And that is functional. Again, I'm looking at that web space, the hole, and I'm looking at the the wrist and how the the pencil is positioned if it's kind of angling back toward the body. If the pencil or pen is vertical, then that usually means that the thumb is hyperextended. Mm. And you again, you don't get the finger movement. So for, for our listeners, if you just Google writing grasp positions, images, you know, on Google images, you'll see the tripod, the quadrupod, Um, Also, this word dynamic might come up. Dynamic means finger movement. Static means it's the whole hand moving and we don't want that. Um, Now, with grasp, I'm sure, you know, as you're learning more about grasp, hearing me describe it, you're maybe thinking about your grasp, right? Right. I definitely was. (laughs) don't, Don't obsess about it because grasp positions become habit. Right. And once you've, you've learned to write a certain way and you know, you're 15, 16, 17, that's how you write. Um, so again, we're looking at, at function. It's really not a good idea to try to correct a grasp of an older child when that, that is what feels normal. And that's what feels right. Right. Um, if it's a really awkward, inefficient grasp, we might look at typing, um, you know, dictation software, things like that. Um, cause that's really the world that we live in right now, mm-hmm. but if they are younger and they're, they're committed, um, you can be successful. And when I say younger, I mean like first grade and younger, okay. um, older kids have so many more things that, that they need to focus on with writing and it, it can be a battle. Um, and you really just want to tread lightly and not turn it into something that they're self-conscious about. Right. Um, so that being said, you know, I mentioned typing and some, some other things that we can do, but there's this really cool grasp position Okay. that um, we sometimes will show kids. I'm actually using it right now because I fractured my wrist. So oh, no. I'm using it right now. Um, 
but it's called, um, I learned that it was called a monk's grasp, but it's an adaptive grasp where you put the pencil or pen between your middle finger and your index finger. Okay. Like a peace peace sign. Like a peace sign. You hold your fingers up like a peace sign and then turn it upside down, put the pencil between the two fingers and then put the thumb where it normally is. And what's happening here is the pencil's being supported by the two fingers, mm-hmm. right? Between the two fingers. And the thumb comes around and we still have the web space. You still have the web space. Oh, yep. wow. So for kids that lack that that strength and control, it gives it to them right, right. away. So that might be a way to kind of compensate for a really inefficient grasp. Right. Um, then, of course, there's all different pencil grips that we can use to correct the finger positioning. There's so many on the market right now. Um, But just be aware that they all serve a different purpose. Right. And you really should talk to an occupational therapist about the right one. Um, I've seen really, really young kids with these tiny pencil grips and they're just not appropriate for their little hands. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I mentioned that the thumb can cross over the shaft of the pencil. So we call that a thumb wrap grasp. And even with some pencil grips on the pencil, the child can still kind of bypass the grip. Yeah. So it's not really serving. Right. It's not serving its purpose. Yeah. So really no, um, what you're trying to correct and get the child on board because if they don't want it, they're not going to use <laughs> they're not it. Use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got to treat those little grips like they're gold because they're, you know, a few dollars each. Right. And they get lost very quickly. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, let's see. Some kids will use increased pressure. Oh. When they're writing. So the, the lead is breaking the, the letters, just the, the color of, of the letters is really dark, dark, right. Um, it's like they're engraving the paper. <laughs> so you can, if you flip over the paper, you can see everything on the, the impression. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can play around with different lead, um, we are accustomed to using number two, but you can get a number one or a number three pencil, depending on if, you know, the child is writing too light or writing too dark. My go-to is a mechanical pencil because okay. what happens if you press too hard on a mechanical pencil? The lead breaks. Yep. So that is like instant kind of visual feedback, even auditory feedback. They right. hear it crack. So they, it's kind of like in the moment, Oh, I need to adjust my pressure. Um, so sometimes we do that. Uh, we also might put sandpaper under the paper. What? So they can feel that. And it's not really a pleasant feeling. (laughs) So they can kind of feel that surface kind of the pressure and the sound. Yeah. So we can do that. And then after we explore, you know, these strategies, compensatory techniques and, you know, kind of move beyond improving the strength and the underlying hand skills, we finally get to what's on the paper. Right. So kids usually have issues with um, 
the spatial aspects. I mentioned that briefly earlier. So how the writing is positioned. So it could be size. It could be spacing between words Mm -hmm. too much, too little, right? They're crammed. It could be space within a word. Mm. Um, If they're the letters, like not just they're not in proportion, but like the parts that like, how can I explain this? Parts of the letters are not um, positioned correctly, like within the lines, below the line, above Mm -hmm. the line. Um, So the placement is just off. Right. Um, And it's funny because like a teacher will hand me a piece of paper and I just start looking at it. I'm like, oh, it's spatial placement or, oh, it's alignment (laughs) or, oh, it's sizing. Right. Right. So we can do some things with adaptive paper. Okay. If we just kind of adjust the number of lines, the size of the lines, sometimes we will give them raised line paper. Oh. So there's these little raised lines. You can feel it by rubbing your fingers over the paper. And when the pencil hits the line, it gives them a little feedback about, Hmm. oh, I hit the line. That means I need to turn my pencil now and not make my pencil dip below the line. So that can really help. Hmm. Um, and it, it's it's interesting because once we put some of those strategies in place, very quickly the legibility improves. Right, right. It just becomes neater. Um, and then last, it's the formation. So how they're forming it um, is it are they t- starting the letter at the top? Are they starting at the bottom? Right. Um, is it just a real awkward sequence? You know, the steps that they're following to form the letter, is it just really awkward? Um, and those are things that a teacher or a parent might not be able to see right. or might not notice because they're looking at the finished product. Mm-hmm. So we want to look at how they're forming those letters. And that kind of goes all the way back to the beginning when I was talking about, you know, with the preschooler, or the pre-K student, um, the motor planning, how the, how they form the letters and making that fun. You kind of got to go all the way back to the basics and kind of restart. So with the younger kids, we usually are pretty successful with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But older kids that can be really, really challenging. And you just have to know which not battle you're going to choose, but which thing you're really going to focus on. Mm -hmm. Because if the goal is to get this child to want to write, you have to just kind of sacrifice all those other things. Let's just get them to want to write. They're so anxious. They're Mm self-conscious. Everybody's always talking about their writing. Right. Um, So let's get them to want to write. And then let's just increase their awareness for how it looks. Right. Um, With older kids, I will sometimes write using the same kind of you know, issues that they're presenting with Mm -hmm. to increase their awareness and have them be the teacher. Like they are checking my work, you know, let's, let's score my work. Are my letters on the baseline? Are there spaces between my words? Mm -hmm. Did I make any of my letters too tall, too short? Are there any letters dipping below the line that aren't supposed to be there and kind of give them that, that power or authority to <laughs> assign me points right. or a grade 
And then they start to come around and they're like, oh, so this is what my teacher is saying. If my teacher can't read what I'm writing, then I'm not going to be able to express all the uh, amazing knowledge I have. Right. And it might, I might get a bad grade. Yeah. You know, or I might get a grade that's really not reflective or of what I know. Right. So it, it's definitely tricky. It's not, like I said, it's not just about the hand. Right. Um, and you have to just kind of think, what is the way that I am going to break through and get, get this child to want to work on it um, and to feel less stressed? Right. Um, yep. Wow. This has been so interesting because you like, you know, you go through life looking at the way that you hold your own like pencil or pen and how you write, but it's interesting to hear it all broken down. And I had a teacher, I want to say it was like my seventh grade English teacher forever ago. Um, She tried to get our whole class to understand kind of like hitting the line when you're writing all of your letters. She was like this, that one little trick will help you like, you know, kind of improve your handwriting. So it's just interesting to hear what is worked on. Um, and at such a young age to get everything back, kind of like back on track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention is yeah. cursive. Oh my gosh. I, so okay, <laughs> I had to learn a cursive in the third grade. It was a requirement. We all had to do it. And it was like, then as you keep going through school, they say like, write this paper in cursive or whatever, right? You had to keep practicing it. But now what I'm hearing, I don't have kids. So I hear all of this kind of secondhand, but I know that they don't do cursive like we used to. They do not. Yeah. Um, I was the same way. I learned it in third grade. That was it. You write in cursive. And then by the time I got to high school, you kind of picked what you wanted. Right. right? And it's like this forgotten art. Yeah. Um, so it is rare or you know not as common to hear about cursive being taught right in the schools uh when i do see it i do not think teachers always understand how you can't just do it one day a week for right. you know half hour if it's going to become automatic and kids are going to get used to it and also used to being able to read it yeah they have to start using it on a daily basis. Right. Not, not right out of the gate. Not, I mean, you can just kind of superimpose cursive on everything I talked about today and you have to start slow. There's motor planning, you know, there's all so many things that go into it. Right. But um, it is important for a signature to right. be developed. Right. It's important to have kind of like a baseline awareness or understanding so you can read other people's writing. Mm -hmm. And it is really useful for kids that have been diagnosed with dyslexia or even, you know, reversing these letters because the letters can only go one way Mm -hmm. and they're connected for kids that might have some of that spatial planning um, challenge going on. This only spaces in cursive are between words. Right. Right. And for kids that have um, some endurance issues, it's a continuous movement. There's far less um, up, you know, pen, pen up and down or pencil up and down, right? It's right. just a con- continuous fluid movement. 
So that can help with endurance. Um, and it's a very natural movement, right? Um, just kind of being on a diagonal, uh, very vertical writing is, is kind of un it's, it's not as common. Um, usually our writing kind of takes on a little bit of a slant because of how our forearm is positioned mm -hmm. and how we place the paper in front of our body. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a natural movement. And, um, we see that it's being taught in Montessori mm -hmm. classes that their, their curriculum, uh, does not focus on um, just regular manuscript, and you might you might have heard of Danielian, which is kind of like a hybrid in between print and cursive. It's kind of like a, a combination, mm -hmm. but yeah, kids very early on in in Montessori are getting exposed to it. Yeah, wow. So you would you say that cursive often is like a help as opposed to a hindrance, which some people might Can't. think. It can be a help, but again, child has to want to do it. Right. Teacher needs to be okay with it because if they're trading papers to grade in class and a peer can't read it, that that's not going to help. The other thing is it needs to be thought of like it's a whole other language. So mm. if you've got a child that's got issues with letter recognition already, you're adding a whole other set right. of, of, you know, rules to learn and, and visual perceptual demands to learn. So that might not be a good idea, but if, if it's a, a child that really wants to, and they've got a good foundation and it's really just more about, um, the efficiency and, and reducing reversals, it might, it might help. Right. Um, I've had a few successful cases, but they really had to practice every day. Yeah. Doing a lot of that eyes closed, um, you know, those fun eyes closed activities to get that kinesthetic motor memory going to make it more automatic. And if they, they're not practicing, it's, it's not going to become a habit. Right. Well, I have one more question for you if you yeah. have the time. Um, and it's, do you find that some children who have sensory issues also have dysgraphia? That's a great question. Um, definitely. So if you think about the sensory components of writing, um, you have to know where your hand is in space. You have to know where your, your joints are when you're positioning that pencil in your hand. So that um, is related to proprioceptive processing. So that's the, the knowledge of, of where your again, your body parts are in space. You've got these receptors in your joints called proprioceptors and they help us know joint position. They also help us know, um, how much pressure we're exerting mm. with the hand and how to increase pressure or decrease pressure as needed to hold tools. So that's your proprioceptive sense. And then if you think about the hand, what's it covered in skin? So that's your tactile sense. Right. Um, and those, those two sensory systems work together um, and can contribute to, you know, the feeling and, and forming those letters. Also, um, one area of sensory processing that we refer to is um, praxis. So that's really just a fancy word for motor planning, knowing what you need to do 
with your hand. Okay. Knowing um, there's a sequence of steps required to form the letter and then the output. So actually executing the motor task. Mm -hmm. So sometimes kids with dysgraphia or dysfunction in that written output also have um, dyspraxia. So a dysfunction oh. with the, the motor output of writing. So we, okay. we definitely, definitely see those things occurring together. Wow. Well, good to know. I think those are all the questions I have for you. This has been so interesting to listen to and kind of think back as like, you know, when you were a kid, what, what you were writing like. <laughs> um, well, now you're going to critique yourself as I know. soon as you pick up your pen today, right? Exactly. What am I doing with my hand? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. And honestly, it sounds like occupational therapy, like for dysgraphia specifically, it sounds like it's just a blast. Like you guys have so much fun. We do, but that's, that's the trick That's the trick behind all of it. We have to make it fun that right. if we're talking about kids, it's gotta be fun and they're not going to want to do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, I'll make sure to link all of the, um, your website and social media platforms so that people can um, find you guys, especially if they're looking for help with dysgraphia. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Thanks for being here. As always, thank you so much to the audience for listening. Make sure to leave us a little rating and review as it helps other people find the podcast. And lastly, RLLC is offering summer reading and writing programs. So if your child has dysgraphia or you're concerned that they might have dysgraphia, the writing program is the perfect place to get them started. Head over to our website, which is linked down in the show notes to get all the details and to sign up. Thank you so much and see you next time.